Greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make every crooked path straight. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, we looked at um, what divine service is, and we had been looking at it for about two weeks. We concluded it the last time we met, or the last time we had a broadcast. So I'll just run through what we've done in the uh, previous two broadcasts on what divine service is, and then we'll be able to move on to what we want to discuss today. We said that divine service is what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon the person to enable him or her serve God in a manner that is pleasing unto God. That is divine service. It means that the Holy Spirit must be there, otherwise you are not engaging in divine service. If you are doing anything apart from the Holy Spirit in your life, it is not divine service. It is not doing, divine service is not doing what you like to do or what you think will delight God. It is doing the will of God, which God has told you. It is not copying what others are doing, which may actually be what God has asked those other people to do, but which is not what God has asked you to do. It is what God specifically asks you to do. That is what divine service is about. It is not just about miracles and healing, but it is what God wants done. We, we must appreciate these things. John the Baptist, for example, came to, to, to show the people Jesus Christ. He did no miracles, and yet he was, he was commended as the, the, the greatest of all men before uh, the Lord Jesus Christ came the first time. Divine service is doing anything that God uh, asks us to do and that brings glory and honor to him. Sometimes these things that God is asking us to do might actually result in our demise. But it is to bring glory to God. It's not that God is a sadist. But God would use that situation to draw men to himself. I think I used the example of two women in um, old ancient Carthage. And how they refused to denounce Christ. And they were actually killed. But as a result of their death, it got the people of Carthage to begin to think that there must be something about this Christ that would make people want to give their lives uh, to die for him. And as a result of that, the whole of Carthage came to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Divine service is, the, is, is that service that originates in and from God. It is that service that is inspired by God. And it is that service that is implemented by God. All we have to do is make ourselves available to him and be yielded to his Holy Spirit. It is pretty much like when you put on gloves. The gloves just have to be there, have to be clean, and have to be fitting. Then you put your hands in and you do your work. But if you have a pair of gloves, for example, that are, let's just, for the sake of argument, are very stubborn and difficult for you to put your hands in, you will not be able to do anything as much as you want to do those things. The gloves by themselves can do nothing. They need hands inside them to be able to do anything. Gloves just sitting down there, they are useless. But when hands are inside the gloves, then they become useful. We are the gloves. The Holy Spirit is a hand. Once his hands fit into us, we, we, he begins to do all the heavy lifting, using us to do that. We, we, uh, we ourselves enjoy from all of that. Now, divine service is not restricted to the pulpit only, but it includes everything that is outside the pulpit. 
For example, we know that Mary Magdalene did not have a pulpit, yet she did the work of the Lord. In fact, she was the first person to see the Lord, and then she announced that to the, to the rest of the disciples. She was the first to see the Lord and announced it. The first evangelist, if you, if, 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 if you want to use that expression. There was Joseph of Arimathea. All he did was to take the, the uh, corpse of the Lord from the cross and bury him in the tomb. The same with um, Nicodemus, who came to the Lord at night. He, he joined Joseph of Arimathea and he buried the Lord. That was their act of service as, 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 as far as the Lord was concerned. Then there's this Ananias of Damascus. All the Bible records him doing was going to uh, Saul of Tarsus, who had been blinded, laying hands upon him, praying for him, and getting him to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to receive his sight, after which he ate and Paul, Saul began to preach. So divine service is not just restricted to pulpit. It's, it's more than the pulpit. Then, of course, lest I forget, there's the, there's the case of um, the couple, Aquila and Priscilla. These were tent makers who were instrumental in providing uh, part-time employment, as it were, to, uh, to Paul. And on one occasion, one, uh, when, um, what's this fellow's name? Um, Apollos came into the coast of Corinth or so. He, 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 was, he was preaching, but he, he was not sound doctrinally. Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and taught him more excellently the word of God. That made Apollos to be a better believer. So they did not have a pulpit, but they served God in whatever. Now, the question then is, so what is the role? So if that's the case, where, where does, what, what is the essence of the pulpit ministry? The role of the pulpit is not to entertain people. The role of the pulpit is, 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 is to teach and to prepare the people who have come to church for divine service to build them up so that they can build the, so they can do the work of god that is the essence of why we go to church that's the essence of why we have pulpit ministers pulpit ministers are there to teach us to inform us to use the scriptures to educate us to enlighten us to bring us to the place where we are prepared to serve god in whatever capacity the lord wants to use us we also noted that there are no two uh, services that are the same. For example, even though it was to reach the, to, to take the gospel to the world, Peter was restricted to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. In fact, on one occasion, when Paul wanted to go into Bithynia, the Holy Spirit re, uh, refused him to go to Bithynia. Yet, we, we read uh, when Peter was writing his first letter that he included Bithynia, which means that somebody had gone there. And it wasn't Paul. So the, 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 the service, the area of service is determined by God. And he can restrict where you go and where you don't go. Divine service, we said, requires three key things. Number one, it requires undivided loyalty to God, unimpeachable commitment to God, and total love for God. Without these three things, you will not even be amongst those that God would choose. Now, today in this broadcast, we want to look at two quick things. One, and I'm trusting God that we'll be able to conclude the matter of divine service and indeed the truth about the gospel on this note. So we want to look at who can serve God and what is the remuneration or payment for divine service. I'm trusting the Almighty God that He will help us to be able to discuss this and settle the matter 
once and for all. So let's start with the first one. Who can serve God? Now, the truth about the gospel is that the gospel was preached to us so that we can be enlightened, we can uh, uh, have our, commit our faith, our trust to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved from the judgment of God upon all sinners. Having been thus saved, we are not just to sit down. We are to be prepared to be sanctified, to get ourselves to the place of consecration and be prepared to serve God in whatever capacity God wants us to serve him. Now, having said that, the question then still is, who is it that can serve God? Let me read uh, a scripture to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to read from verse 26 to verse 29. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 from 26 to 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Who is it that God can choose? Anyone, actually. But the truth of the matter is that God is not looking for people who already have things, or people who are full of themselves. God is looking for empty vessels that he can fill. So we find that God picks the unlikely people. God picks the unexpected people. God picks those people that you and I would consider unqualified. He says, God does not look at people who think that they are okay as far as the, the world is concerned, or as far as fleshly things are concerned. Indeed, if you read before the, uh, uh, a, a little before the scripture, the Bible encourages those who think that they are wise, that they should become fools so that they can truly become wise. So God is looking for people who are wise according to his own uh, estimation of wisdom, not according to how wise we think we are. Now, God has purposed to use these things to confound those who say they are wise, to confound the mighty, to confound the strong. Now, this is what God does. It's like when you want to deal with a bully. If you are stronger than the bully and you beat up the bully, everybody will say, why are you beating up the bully? So what does God do? God will pick a small fry, someone smaller than the bully, and tell that person while he's supervising and say, beat the bully. And the bully knows that he cannot touch that fellow. Now, de the devil is the bully. You are that little fry. And God is that person. If he beats the bully directly, they will say, why is he beating after he's bigger than him? So he gets somebody that this fellow has been bullying, that is you and I, and says, now, beat him. It is just like what um, I think it was Gideon who did that. After he had captured uh, two of the kings, Salmona or something, and one other king, he got his sons to place their feet on the, on the neck and said, kill them. Of course, the young lads were too afraid, so Gideon had to do it himself. But that's basically what divine service is about. It's about picking the weak and using the weak to confound the strong. So don't disqualify yourself because you think you don't have anything. In fact, you recall that Gideon disqualified himself. Gideon said, my, my, my family is the least in our tribe and I am the least in that family. But God said to him, don't worry. Go in this your small strength and you will gain victory. 
Why? Because he was going to be there. So the most important thing is that you are somebody that God wants to use, provided you are available, provided you are going to be faithful, provided you are going to yield to his spirit. Now, these teachings of you, mu you must be great, you must have money, you must have, is not congruent with the scriptures. God has always looked at the ones that don't matter, people of no reputation, people that nobody, the people that are despised, people that, are, people that nobody would even give, would, would even look twice at. He, those are the people that God wants to use because he wants to confound people who think that they are something to tell them that they are really nothing. So we must understand that. God can use you. He can use me. God can use a gate man. God can use a street cleaner. God can use a shoe shine man. He can use a C, a top CEO. He can use anybody. What is important is that these people have submitted themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have emptied themselves of themselves and made themselves of no reputation and are now available to God to use. The Bible tells us how the Lord Jesus Christ came to the earth and made himself of no reputation. And he obeyed God, even when the obedience meant that he would go to the cross. And the Bible now says how God had highly exalted him. That was after he had done the obedience. That brings us to discussing the second thing. What is the payment? What is the remuneration for divine service? Because a, a lot of times when, when we tell people, when we tell people, oh, God wants you to serve him. God wants, you, wants, wants to use you to do certain things. The first thing we think of is, how am I going to feed my family? How am I going to take care of my family? Because we believe somehow that God does not, is not able to take care of his own. I mean, that's the only reason why such a question can come up. How do you ask that question? Well, how am I going to take care of my family? How am, I going to, how am I going to do that? God will take care of him of that. So let's know that, number one, we don't need to engage in divine service for pecuniary benefits. God, we see, we don't come to serve God because of what we are going to get by way of um, rewards in terms of salary or remuneration or so and so on and so forth. No, that's not, that's not the, the purpose of divine service. That's not the goal. The goal is to, is to go there and serve God. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 says, and this is Paul writes, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Paul here says, I am willing to spend and be spent for the gospel. I'm willing to give everything. I'm willing to spend of my own self, spend of my money, spend of myself for the sake of the gospel so that I can bring the, the word of God to you. In Philippians chapter 3, we are warned not to be like it's a, a, a certain group of people. Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 18. If I just do verse 18 and 19. Paul here writes, he says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is, is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. He says, there are people their God is their belly. All they think of is what they can benefit uh, in, in an earthly sense from the service of God. But the service of God is not about an earthly benefit. In fact, it is about something spiritual, something eternal. And we are going to look at that uh, in, 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 in a while. But I want us to note this, that 
you don't serve God because you want to get something here on the earth. Now, the question then says, the question now is, so how do I get sustenance while I'm serving God? How do I maintain my family? How do I sustain my family? Now, in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to verse 33. The Bible makes us understand after, I think this, this follows 24, where it says no one can serve two masters, that we either serve God and God alone, or we serve Mammon and Mammon alone. Now in verse 25, now it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. This is God speaking to you. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, for uh, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into bands. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable or of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arid like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, that is those who don't know God, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It's simple. The Bible says, don't take a thought for yourself. Don't take a thought of what you, of what you will eat, what you will drink. But no, God will take care of you. He says, if God takes care of the grass, and look at what the Bible says. It says, the grasses are better arid than Solomon in all his glory. I mean, it's, it's an astounding statement that God is making here. And then he says, why do you then worry about these things? Oh, you of little faith, it shows that you don't really have faith in God. If you had faith in God, you would trust him. And so God is asking us to trust him. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek to serve him. Seek to do his bidding. And then he will add those things that others run around to struggle for. He will add it to you. They will be your portion. Now, the, the truth of the matter is that God is not speaking about something that, um, uh, what, what we call our, our wants. He's speaking of our needs. The very essence, God will take care of that very essence. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, Paul, writing by the Spirit, says, And I know that my God shall um, uh, meet you at the point of, shall, shall, shall meet you at the point of your need. Let, let me read it so that I don't, uh, I don't misquote it. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. It says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. By Christ Jesus. God will provide all your needs. Every need. At the point of need. God will meet you. So don't worry about the issue of sustenance. Now for those who are gainfully employed. In an establishment. That establishment actually becomes their pulpit. Remember we said. That your, your, your pulpit is not the pulpit in church. Your pulpit. The place of your service. Is outside of the pulpit. So if you are employed, that place of employment 
is how the, the salary that you are being paid is how you are sustained. And that place of employment is your place of service. It is there that you are going to glorify God. It is there that you are going to honor God by the things that God will ask you to do, by the things that God will ask you to, 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 to do in that place. Sometimes you may be a street, a street cleaner, one who sweeps the, the streets. And God would use you to minister to people who are walking by the street. Sometimes you won't even say a word. But because you are living, you are acting like a Christian, a child of God, God will use you to minister to people. It might be that you are shining shoes and just collecting some money just for your sustenance. But God can use you to minister to somebody who comes to, to shine his shoes before you. You will be able to, you might just be able to speak to some people that those people in the, in the pulpit will not be able to speak to. So God can use you to minister to anybody. You could be a gatekeeper and God use you to minister to, to, to people. So let us not demean those things. And whatever you are being paid will sustain you. And if you need more, God has a way of providing that extra when it is needed. Then there are those who labor in the pulpit, those who we refer to as full-time ministers. For them, God has also made provision of the gifts that will come from people who bring them to God. God has said concerning those who are serving him full-time that they are his, they, they, they belong to him, and that whatever people bring to God, they should, they should benefit from it. In Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, from verse 6 to 10. The Bible says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So if somebody is teaching you the word of God and you are, you are working somewhere and you, are, you have income, God expects you to take out of your income and be a blessing to that brother who is teaching you the word of God. He doesn't need to ask you to do it. You should know that you should minister to him. What is sad about our Christianity today is, Christianity today is how selfish many people have become. How unfeeling and uncaring many people are. They, that is why many people would not even leave whatever they are doing to come and serve God, even when God is speaking to them. Because they would, they would, they would be wondering, how am I going to survive? Because they actually didn't even help anybody. They didn't minister to those who taught them. That is why they can have that kind of a, a thinking. I remember the case of a brother who was working in an oil company many decades ago. He, he was called by God to leave that place and serve God full time. And he said to God, how am I going to take care of my family? And that was the end of that conversation. And he continued to, to, to work in his uh, office for the next eight or so years after that conversation. Then one day, as he was driving into his home, armed robbers followed him into his own house and followed him into his bedroom. And they asked him to kneel down. Whilst he was kneeling down, and they were in, searching the, um, his home, they shot at him. But for some, miraculously, the bullet missed him. After they left the house, he went flat on his face and said, Lord, what have I done? What has happened? What is going on here? And he said he heard, a, 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 he heard the voice of God clearly say, who would have taken care of your family if you had been killed? That was the day he went and resigned. And he said, from now on, I'm going to serve God. And glory to God, he's doing far better than even when he was working in, an, in a place of employment. So please, don't think that serving God is a, is, a, is a death sentence or a crime. No, it is not. Those who are serving God 
will tell you the joy. I mean, those who are truly serving God will tell you the joy of serving. I am not talking of these people who, be, who believe that gain, that ministry is about gain. No, 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 no. I'm talking of people who are truly serving God, not because of what they will get, but because they have devoted themselves, they've consecrated themselves unto God. Let me read a lengthy passage to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 19. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, He's saying here that, do, do you think that we don't have right to make demands of you to be paid for what we are doing? Should we be working so that we can sustain ourselves? Do you know of a soldier that is fighting for his nation and the nation does not provide him with kit, gone, and even his salary? That's the question he's asking here. In verse 8, he says, do I say these things as a mere man or does not the law or the word of God say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. It is written that we, that uh, he who, who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your, uh, your uh, material things? If we spend time in the presence of God, studying the word of God to come and teach you, and we are not doing anything, is it a crime if we partake of your material things? Why do you act as if the pastor or the, the pulpit minister who is serving full time has to go and work like you are working. Why do you think that the work that you are working is not provided to you by God? Why do you think that what you are doing is not of God? Why do you believe that it is your power that took you there? Why do you believe that your money belongs, that that salary is yours? And that if, after you have paid the tithe, that that is the end. And even right now, there are people struggling to pay tithe and trying to justify it by saying there is no tithe written, no command to tithe in the New Testament. I, 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 I agree partly with them, but I don't agree fully. Because it is not the tithe that God is interested in. It is the principle behind the tithing that God is interested in. That there should be meat in the house of God. And for, the, for your information, under the New Testament, it is not a matter of 10%. It is even greater than that. The New Testament makes a greater demand on us than the Old Testament does. Verse um, 12 now. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Say, um, we, are not, we, we are not demanding from you. That's why we go and work, so that the gospel will not be hindered. You will not use it as a basis for not listening to the gospel. 
in verse 13 it says do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar even so the lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel now i am not in support of ostentation don't get me wrong i i, I see the the crass materialism of many people who say they are ministers of god that's not what we're talking about here we're talking of sustenance how can you have your pastor who will be begging to send his children to school and yet you can boldly send your children to the most expensive schools and your pastor cannot send his child to a public school shame on you shame on you i say it again shame on you you should be able ah, you must be able to do that not just your pastor what of the poor people in your church verse 15 but i have used none of these things nor have i written these things that it should be done so to me for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. Paul is saying, I'm not writing these things so that you will do it to me. Thank God he wrote it there. And I'm not saying this so that you can do it to me. No, 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 no. It is something that you should know. Who knows? I've heard some people say, oh, my, my, my calling is to be um, God's treasurer. A treasurer does not own the money that he's keeping. A treasurer is actually keeping money for someone. So if you are God's treasurer, then it means the money that you are keeping is not yours. You must ask God how to dispense with it. You cannot dispense that money on your own. You cannot even buy bread from that money if you lay claim to being a treasurer for God. You must ask God how to dispose of the money. That is how treasurers function. Treasurers do not function because they have the money and then they can now share. Do you, do, if you have an accountant in your office, would you expect your accountant to be spending the, the, the corporate money for himself? No! He will take instructions from the ND and know how to dispense the, 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 the money. In verse 16, it says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will I have been entrusted with a stewardship, what is my reward then? That, which, that when I preach the gospel... I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. What the apostle is writing here, he said, I am serving willingly. I am not serving for filled locusts. I'm not serving because I'm greedy. I'm not serving because I want gain. I'm serving because it is necessity is laid on me to preach the gospel. I understand why the gospel is. I understand the truth about the gospel. I understand that I was, I was brought in so that I might go out and win more souls for the Lord. I might speak to people about the truth about the gospel so that they might come to the place. I am not going to demand for payment so that I will not diminish the quality of the gospel. Many people who are right now asking for money for this, asking for money for that, they have trivialized the gospel. And I say to those ones, shame on you. Because they have made rubbish of what the gospel ought to be. It does not mean that the, the, those who are truly serving God should not benefit from our purses. We must be able to be a blessing to other people. The Bible commands us to be sharers, not, not accumulators, but people who will distribute. So that when, we, when you are engaged in divine service, you, what, what you are getting is not here on the earth, is eternal. 
We get rewards in heaven. We are not looking for earthly remuneration when we serve God. There are rewards. And that's what Paul was writing here. That he, he has rewards that he's waiting for. And they are in heaven. He would rather suffer here and gain those rewards than come and be begging you, asking you, forcing you to give him money and lose his reward. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 27 to 29, there was a rich man, a rich young, a young rich ruler who came to the Lord Jesus Christ and said to him, how, must, how can I, uh, what must I do to gain eternal life? And the Lord told him to go and sell everything and uh, come and follow him. Sell everything, give to the poor and then come and follow him. And the man left sad because he had many, he had a lot of possessions. And the Lord now said, how, how difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. I said, what? The people, apostles said, the disciples said, what? what are you talking about? He said, no, because these people have trusted in their money. That's why they cannot part with it. So at, at a point in time, Peter had to ask him. And that question is very important because he answers directly what we are discussing here. Then Peter answered and said to him, verse 27 of Matthew 19, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house, houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. What you are going to get is more than what you have left behind. And that is why he's encouraging, say, don't worry, leave what you need to leave. I'm speaking to those of you, those of you who God is either calling to full-time ministry or you are right now in full-time ministry. Don't worry, God will compensate you adequately. He will take care of your needs, not your excesses, but your needs. And he will compensate you adequately in eternity. You will gain eternal life. The Lord, in, in, in Matthew chapter 20, when James and John came to ask him whether to, came to make a request that one sit on the right hand and on the left, now told the, used the opportunity to speak to every one of them and said, look, what you are called to is to serve and to, and to, give, to, to, make, to give your life as a sacrifice. That's what you have been called to. You have not been called to a life of pleasure like we see today. Now, ministry seems to be exciting to people because they see pastors who are living big, pastors who are living as if without a care. But no, it's not about that. Ministry is about service. The, the, the Lord Jesus Christ told them in, in Matthew chapter 20, he said, the fellow that will be the greatest among you must be servant of all. You must be slave to everyone if you are going to be great. The Preaching of greatness that we are hearing today, it's not even talking about what the Lord is talking about. He's talking about something else. He's feeding the flesh rather than the spirit. And what the Lord is saying here is that if you are going to be great in his eyes, you must be a slave to every other person. You must be serving everybody. You must be humble. And then recognize that in ministry, it is about sacrifice. So it's not about having everything. It's about having what God wants you to have. Sometimes you will have nothing. Not because you cannot lay hands on it, but because God does not want you to have it at that point in time. I recall Gehazi, who could not wait. When Elisha told him, when, when, when Elisha refused to take the uh, gift that Naaman had brought, Gehazi pursued Naaman so that he could collect it. And after collecting it, Elisha asked him, is this the time 
for vineyards, for base servants and men servants. There was, a, there was going to be a time for that, but that was not the time. And that was not the gift to collect. But he did. And the, 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 the leprosy of Naaman clave unto Gehazi and to his generations. So let us not be greedy. Let us not do ministry because of greed. Let's not be thinking of ministry as a means of, of, of making money. That is not what ministry is about. Ministry is about serving God as God wants to be served. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, speaking of the rewards in eternity, this is what the Bible says. It says, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. There is a crown that is to be given at the end of this life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, um, the fourth verse, Peter was writing about the, the, the reward of, of uh, those who are involved in, 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 in ministry. Verse 5, uh, verse 4. He says, and when the, when, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There is a reward, the reward of crowns that is waiting for those who diligently and uh, 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 faithfully serve God as God wants to serve and are not ready and are not just serving because of uh, pecuniary benefits. No. In verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, Paul again writes, says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. There is a prize, there is a reward. It's not this one that we are pursuing here. It's not the car, it's not the house. It's not, it's not the mansions, no. It's not the private jet, no. That's, that's, that's nothing compared to what is waiting for, for those of us who will be faithful till the end. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, is moderate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. I said, look at the Olympic runners. See how they temper themselves for all the huge sums of money that they eventually earn. You don't see it show, show on them. They still go for training. They still wake up early in the morning to run, to train, to, to, to do all those things. They still go through those perseverance. If they are going to maintain, to, to keep their records or even break the records. It's not ostentation. But look at us, those of us who, who have something more important at stake here. How much of it have we committed to the Lord? In, in verse 26 it says, Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified or reprobate or a castaway. The Bible says, when you sit down to meet with a wealthy man and there's so much food, put a knife to your throat. Limit yourself. There are some times when you are invited to a place, you say, don't worry, I'm not hungry. You may be hungry, but I say, no. You tell your stomach, sorry, no food here. You should be able to do that. We must not disqualify ourselves. We must not get ourselves to the place where while we are serving God, we become reprobate. We become disqualified. 
The pursuit of pecuniary benefits is not a goal in the divine, in divine service. It's not a goal of the gospel. It's not the goal. It is not about pay. It's not about remuneration. No, it's more. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5, verse 5, uh, read it through, through to 11. It says, uh, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds is getting somewhere, and truth, who the minds of, uh, it says, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, as men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. This is what is missing in many of our lives as Christians. We don't have contentment. Let us be sincere with ourselves. Our eyes are still worldly. We still have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's still very much in us. And the Bible says these things are of the world and not of the Father. And that anybody who has that cannot have the love of the Father in him. We must begin to challenge ourselves to do what is right. To live right before God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The gospel is not for gain. It's about contentment. In, in verse 7 it says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Not those who desire to be rich. They fall, if that is your goal, you will fall into temptation. And they snare. And into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, you Christian, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. What is he telling us here? It's a very simple thing. He's saying to you and I that our focus should be on serving God. He's saying to us that we should be content with clothing, with food, and with whatever accommodation God has provided us with. We don't have to live in a mansion here on the earth because we have mansions waiting for us in heaven. The Bible is saying to us that when you begin to love money, when you may, I, I heard a preacher once say once, look, I don't love money. The love of money is the one that God is talking about. Not money. Money is not evil. It's the love of money that is evil. But every time you tune to, this, to the TV station, this fellow is forever talking about money. Whenever you find this fellow preaching, if he says there are three things or four things that you must do to, to win something or to gain something, number one, number two is about money. It's about giving. It's about tithing. He will never talk about salvation. He will never talk about you carrying your cross. He will never talk about you not denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he says he doesn't love money. He loves money. You can look, let me tell you. If you are in love with someone and you have to start, you have to sit with your friends, you will talk more about that person you love, you are in love with than any other thing. That would be the subject of your discussion. So if such a person says, I love God and not money, he should talk more about God than about money. But when I see somebody talking more about money than about the Lord Jesus Christ, I have found somebody who is in love with money. It doesn't, it's not about what he says. It's about what he is. In um, Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, Paul again writing, makes a, a very profound statement. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. The Philippians had sent some things to him and... Um, he commends them. 
And this is what he said in verse 11 and 12. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. We find contentment again. This is what is missing in the body of Christ. Content, no contentment. Everybody wants something. And our preachers have not helped us. They speak about greatness. They speak about becoming rich. They speak about this. Meanwhile, the gospel does not teach that. Just, just imagine what the Lord Jesus Christ he said. The poor you will always have with you. Why? So that the poor can be taken care of by the rich. Remember when John the Baptist came to sent some people to say, are you the one or is there another? He said, go and tell John the Baptist. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. He didn't say the poor are made rich. He said the poor have the gospel preached to them. Oh, somebody will say to me, but the Bible says that for our sakes, he became poor that we might be rich. What it, the Bible is actually saying in that scripture is a very simple thing. He was talking about the giving of the Philippian church. And how the Philippian church, in their deep poverty, were still able to give towards the work of God. And then he now tells the Corinthians that you also ex excel in this gift of giving. He says, remember the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though he was rich, he became poor so that we might be rich. In the same way, you become poor so that others can be rich. That's basically what he's saying. But we know we, we, because our minds are not tilted towards the truth. We begin to twist it for our own purpose. The Lord Jesus Christ became poor so that you can be rich. In the same way, you circumvent yourself, make yourself poor so that others can be rich. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. In verse 12 of Philippians chapter 4, he says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. That is the life of a Christian. The life of a Christian is to be full, and when you are empty, you are empty. When you are full, you are okay. When you are, when you are not full, you are okay. You, you have the same disposition. You have not changed one bit. Same first, uh, first Timothy chapter 6, back to First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 19. He's speaking to those who are rich, and God does not say that you shouldn't be rich. Please don't get me wrong. What God is against is for you to have wealth through ungodly means. But if God has given you wealth, hear what God says to those of you who are rich. He says, command those who are, who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He says, don't put your trust in money. You have money, fantastic, but don't put your trust in money. Trust God who has given you that money to enjoy. And then look at it. Now, somebody has said, but God gave me the money to enjoy. Fine. Let's finish this. Let's finish it. We did it. In verse 18, it says, let them do good that they be rich in good works. That's why you were given the money to be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. You, you, you are not given money to accumulate. You are given money to distribute. The issue is that of redistribution of wealth. I know many of us with capitalist bent don't want to hear that. But the truth of the matter is that God wants the rich to share with the poor. That is the truth of the matter, whether you like it or not. And if you say you are a Christian and you are struggling with this, my brother, you are on your way out of Christianity. That is the truth. That is the truth about the gospel. In verse 19, it says, Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold 
on eternal life. Your reward is eternal life. The money that you have here on the earth is a resource. Your car is a resource. Your house is a re- These are all resources. It, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make you any better than the other person here on the earth. It is when you get to heaven and those things that you have are thrown inside the fire. The ones that endure will mark whether you have actually served God or not. Indeed, in Titus chapter 1 verse 7, one of the things that the Bible tells us about the fellow who is going to be a bishop is that, let me just read verse 7, it says, For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. That's a bishop. So the Bible does not teach what we see many people teaching. The Bible does not teach us to, 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 to seek the acquisition of money. No! It does not teach us to seek the acquisition of wealth for its own sake. No! If God brings wealth to you, he's saying, use it to, for the expansion of the gospel. Use it to be a blessing to the poor. Use it to meet the needs in the house of God. I'm not talking of ostentation. No! Some people will give their pastors checks worth millions of naira. Yet they have poor brothers and sisters sitting right next to them in that church. What those brothers and sisters need is far, far less. What they are giving to their pastor, they can meet the needs of 10 to 20 brothers in that church who will go and use that small money to start businesses. But no, the pastors have lied to them, have pumped themselves up and have told them that if you want God to bless you, give me the money. Many of these pastors are doing projects that God did not ask them to do. They are going to die and leave those projects. But you have the poor with you. Take care of the poor. Indeed, my brothers and my sisters, your service to God is not what you think it is. Like I've just spoken about money. Your service to God might just be a redistribution of whatever income you are earning. You are working somewhere, you are earning so much. You know yourself that this money is superfluous. But what has happened to many of us is that our throats have expanded. To contract it is a problem. We can no longer be satisfied drinking water. Now we have to drink some strange things. Now we have to talk about champagne. We have to talk of caviar. What is caviar? They're talking of fish egg that you see anywhere. But because of the way they they give it a name, you are happy with it. We eat strange things. We are no longer satisfied with the normal food that we grew up with. No, 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 no. It must be imported. Otherwise, we are are not happy with it. It must be Oibo food. Otherwise, we are not happy. What kind of life are we living? Contain yourself. Be content. Your act of divine service may be as simple yet difficult a task as raising God-fearing children. That might just be all that you are going to serve God with. I see many people talking talking to, to, to women and telling them to go out there and walk, go out there and support your husband, go out there and do this, go out there and do that. And everybody has gone out, but look at our children. They are wayward. Not one of them has morals in their lives. Why? Because the parents are all out there trying to eke out a living. But God might have called you to be the one to raise that ch- those children whilst your husband is laboring. Then cut your coat according to your cloth. The children don't have to go to expensive schools. Many people did not. Many people that you see being leaders today in their various nations didn't have to go to expensive schools. Except they want to fool themselves. They went to simple schools and yet they are are the leaders. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. Genesis 18, 19. This is what God said about Abraham. He said, For I know him in order that he may command his children 
and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. He said, I know Abraham. That's why I called him. He will train his children. He will train his entire household to fear God. You can be a God-fearing wife who will raise your children to fear God. Today we, we rejoice, we celebrate when we see children from the same womb. Every one of them is preaching the word of God. Is it not the mother who prayed those children in? Is it not the mother who raised those children? The mother may have been a, a sit-at-home woman. But there's no need to demean her. She's doing a great work for the Lord. Many of us who are parents are raising, increasing the kingdom of darkness in the world rather than raising children who will fear God. How are you serving God? The woman who will tie scarf and run to church to be doing prayer meeting. She is the one leading prayers every day. Your children are back home committing the most grievous offenses. You don't know, but you are in church every day. Do you think God is interested in that act that you are doing when you have left your backyard untended? It may be to nurse a spouse, a sick spouse, till that fellow goes to be with the Lord, if that fellow goes before you, by the way. I remember one fellow who wrote a book. I don't want to mention the name of the fellow. I don't want to mention the name of the book. But he wrote a book. And many people bought that book in their millions. And then he had a, he had a challenge. His wife fell ill. Suddenly he realized that all that book was for something else. This was the real reason why God brought him into this world. To take care of his wife. You might be the stronger, even the man, the woman might be, even be the stronger than the man. Your service might be to, to make sure that that fellow is nurtured, is taken care of till he goes to be with the Lord. So that he will not live his life in regret and be wondering, what, who have I married? But you're a wife. You will, not sit your, your, you will not sit at home to do what you're supposed to do. You are everywhere. You are, everybody knows you. Woman of God, woman of God, woman of God. But your husband is at home regretting the day he, he, he married you. How does that glorify God? Have you sat down to speak to God and say, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing? Your service to God may not be what you think it is. In Acts chapter 23, Acts chapter 23, verse 11, Paul had uh, given testimony of the Lord's doing in his life and how he got to that place before one of the kings that night, after he, after he gave that his, uh, his testimony, the Lord Jesus came to him. Let me read it, verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him, that is Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. The Lord was saying to him, Your work is to go to Rome and stand before the emperor and be a witness, so that the emperor will not be able to come and say, Nobody told me about the gospel. Your witness be in, in, the, in, 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 the, in, the, in the seat of power. Your, 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 your service in the, spirit of, in the seat of power by God is not to continue to help the, the, the leader to do things that are wrong. No, it is to rein him in by being a witness, speaking to him the word of God. I had a beautiful testimony of a brother who, who was... Who was worried? He was a young believer at the time, and he just complained that what are you, what, what what does it mean that prayer works? He, he didn't believe in prayer, and so another believer said, "Okay, why don't we take? Why don't we have a bet?" They, they had a bet for fifty dollars. He said, "Pick a nation of the world and begin to pray for that nation, and let us see whether God will not answer the prayer." So the brother went and picked the nation of Kenya, 
and um, the, fellow, the other fellow asked him, why did you pick Kenya? He said, well, he just looked at the map and randomly chose Kenya. He said, okay, let's begin to pray. And he began to pray for, that, that other fellow began to pray for Kenya. He said, after a few uh, weeks, he was invited to a dinner. He went to the dinner and there was a lady sitting next to him. In the course of conversation, it turned out that that lady was a missionary in Kenya and they were trying to build a hospital. He said in a flash, he saw $50 leaving his pocket. But he pursued the angle and he went ahead and raised money for this sister so that they could build a hospital in Kenya. When the hospital was, was finished, by this time, of course, the, the 30 days of prayer was over. He had departed with the $50, but he began to see some things. After the, after the hospital was built, he was invited to Kenya for the uh, dedication of the hospital. At the dedication of the hospital, the sister introduced him to everybody there that this is the brother who actually raised money for this hospital to be built. He said that that day, the president of Kenya was present at the dedication of that hospital and called him and said, I want you to ride with me in my car. The president of Kenya took him in his car and rode with him and was showing him Nairobi. At, at one point in time, they, they got to a, a place where, where the walls were very high. The president looked away and he asked the president, Mr. President, what is that uh, place? He said, oh, that's where I keep my uh, enemies. The political, those people who, who don't want me to make progress. I store them there. That was the prison. So the fellow said to the president, say, Mr. President, the Bible says that we should be good to our enemies. He says, if our enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them to drink. He said it, and he went back to uh, America. Two weeks after his visit to Kenya, he said he got a phone call from, sta from the State Department. And that that's will be in Nigeria, the equivalent of foreign, foreign Affairs Ministry. And the State Department called him and said, were you in Kenya? So, 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 between them, and he said, yes, he was there. He said, did you meet with the president? He said, yes. He said, why? He said, what did you say to the president? He said, what do you mean, what did I say to the president? How's that your business? He said, no, 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 no. That we've been trying to get the president to release political prisoners. He has done that now. And he said, when we asked him, he said that it was you who convinced him to, to, to release them. He said, what did you say? He said, I didn't tell them. I didn't tell him anything. I just told him that he should feed his enemies. He should give them water to drink. He should not imprison them. That's all I said. They said, wow, something must... That fellow served God. That fellow was a testimony to God. Who knows? Maybe that's what we see today in that nation, Kenya, that it is doing so well. The same can apply to any nation. If we will just find believers who will, who will instead of castigating everything and speaking against everything, will just pray for their nation, will pray for their leaders and ask God. It doesn't matter who that person is. If that person is the leader, you need his wisdom. You need him to have wisdom so that he can govern you. The Bible says that we should pray for our leaders so that we might live peaceable lives. If you're not living a peaceable life, how can your business thrive? How can your ministry thrive? How can your church thrive? How can you yourself thrive in that nation? I perceive that the Lord is speaking to somebody here and is saying to you, change your attitude. I have called you to serve me, not to serve your emotions, not to serve your mind. As a Christian, you are like a sleeper cell. You are like God's agent, a sleeper cell, put in one corner, ready to be activated by God anytime to do a particular work, to do a particular thing. You are not there for money. You are not there for the good life. Those things you will get when you get to eternity. You will get that good life, that better life in eternity. But right now, you are like a sleeper cell, waiting, studying, being, growing, growing in faith, 
being sanctified, consecrating your life, being loyal to God, doing his word, the little things he's asking you to do, doing it, one day he will activate you and make you to stand before kings. What will you say at that point in time? Will you be asking for a contract? Will you be asking to be made a minister? Or will you just tell him a simple thing that will prick his heart and will make him say, I must do the best for this nation. You must be ready to go at, at any time that God calls upon you to serve him. Until we meet next time, I pray that the Almighty God will challenge you in your spirit to change your focus about divine service, to submit yourself to his spirit, to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, and to allow him put you on as a pair of gloves to do the work that he wants to do through you. Until that time, God bless you and goodbye.